everybody. This is we we make the pod by talking. This is Takashi. You can check us out on SoundCloud. Uh, we also have our uh, podcast available on Spotify, Google Music, and also on Anchor. But um, yeah, if you have any questions or want to join us, uh, feel free to email us at we make the pod by talking at gmail.com. And today's episode, we're going to be sharing our experiences as Asian male educators teaching in the inner city. So, Daniel. Uh, can you hear me all right? Yeah, I can hear you totally fine. Excellent. How you doing? I'm good. I've been sneezing a lot because of allergies. Oh, really? Hopefully allergies, not because of COVID-19. Right. This might be your first episode, Corona Positive. Positive. Hope not. <laughs> um, how do you feel otherwise? No, nah, I'm fine. It's just a sneeze, but like I don't have any sore throat, no drowsiness. It's just a yeah. sneeze, and the sneeze doesn't feel like it's a sick sneeze. It feels like a allergy yeah. sneeze. I think I've I've been able to differentiate it. Like back then, I wasn't able to, so I'll, I'll like get scared if I start sneezing a lot. Yeah, and I realize, yeah. oh yeah, there's a difference between allergy sneeze and being sick sneeze. Right, right. One is mucusy, one is something else, one is just tickly. Yeah, and that's the one I have. And plants are just having sex and making us irritated. Those damn plants are taking up all the fun in this COVID time. Yeah. They're the ones that are really blooming, you know? Yeah, along with all these other animals that are just sprawling in the city. Right. Yeah, it's insane. Takashi, is that a um, is that a mask hanging, or did you tie your beard? <laughs> right here. Yeah. No, there's no mask. That's a that's your beard. Yeah. Oh. I actually shaved a little bit, and it was actually uh, longer than this. Oh really? How did you tie it all down like that? Uh, I didn't tie it. This is just the earphones. Oh, those are the earphones. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I guess, thought you had yeah. tied your facial hair into, into like a, a necklace of some sort. Uh, I mean, that'd be pretty cool, but nah. No, I was going to say like, what a cool aesthetic. Yeah. Uh, maybe we could start doing that and then people will pay us money and. <laughs> yes. Uh, support us on Patreon. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. How are you doing? Is it cold out there? Uh, it is. It's like windy. It's the bay. Um, but I also have my window open because it's like a, it's nice. It gives me the illusion that there's an outside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I don't know. It's, it's all the same. It feels all the same. Um, and I feel like we're going to be doing this for a long while. I signed up for summer school. I kind of want to test out what kinds of kinks can I work out during this like period in the summer where I can get paid and then when the fall hits I'll have a better sense of like how to teach online yeah what's up Aldrich Aldrich hey it's Takashi oh Daniel what's up bro <laughs> long time no see no oh my gosh dude the last time I saw guys. you was like 2013 at my graduation. I remember you were taking a photo. Yeah, that was the last time. 
and I haven't seen Daniel probably since our graduation. I think that was it. Twenty twenty. That's right. When you yeah. when you did your performance and gave our speech. Oh yeah, that was yeah. the last I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, my my fondest memory of you, the closest memory I have of you, is in the library at West Adams High School. And you and I were sitting there, I think, with Sergio, and we were talking about you're trying to pass some kind of test. And oh. it was the time that we were bullshitting for an extended period of time. <laughs> it must have been the CSET. <laughs> My uh, uh, social science. Yeah, I think that's what it was. I had such a hard time passing that. Yeah. Yeah. And then hey. I passed the English one easily. I don't know what happened. That was so weird. What's up, hey, Nathaniel? Nathaniel? Nice to meet you. Hey, Nathaniel. Hey everyone. I don't know if Carlos is coming. Uh, I'll just start. I already recorded. I already did the intro. So <laughs> I don't know um, if you all just want to introduce yourself because I know uh, not everybody knows each other. And um, you can you can say like where you teach, where have you taught. I know uh, some of y'all taught like different grade levels. Um, and you know, giving a context on like what kind of environment the school it is that you teach at. Um, I can start first, if you all would like. Um, so my name is Aldrich Sabak. Um, I am in my eighth year of teaching. I currently teach English, ELD, and Ethnic Studies. Um, it's the mm-hmm. second year our district has had Ethnic Studies. Um, I've also taught, uh, prior to that, I taught third and fourth grade for a few years. Um, and I'm in Stockton, California. Our population we have a very heavy like his rich history of course like anywhere else like immigrant history um refugee history um a lot of rich history with um the farm workers here in stockton our the school i teach at is in south stockton it's a 90 percent free and reduced re- reduced lunch pro- uh, program school and um the demographics other than that are primarily of course, Latinx, um, uh, Southeast Asian, Hmong, Laotian, Cambodian, Vietnamese, uh, and also the other larger groups are African American and Filipino students and Pacific Islander students, Pacific American students. That's cool. That's pretty diverse. It's a really diverse school. Um, I don't know how legit their research was, but according to USA World News Report, they put Stockton as the most diverse city this year. So, apparently. Um, I could go next. Uh, My name is Daniel Yu. I teach at Oakland International High School. Um, It is a newcomer only school. Um, I think we have students from 22 plus countries around the world um, with over 46 languages spoken. we are also under the auspices of a nonprofit called the Internationals Network, which supports newcomer schools originally in the East Coast in New York and have created other campuses and made articulations with school districts. So that's the kind of school I teach at. Um, previously, I've taught at a variety of different continuation schools as well as um, high schools, charter schools and then private institutions, um, smaller set private institutions abroad and here. Um, I think this is my 15th year or 16th year. I, I, can't, I can't remember anymore. 
And so mostly English language arts, any kind of literacy that's asked. But then this past year, I've been teaching statistics because they needed a statistics teacher. And then next year I will touch teach Gov Econ. And the reason we could do that is because is um, in alt ed program you don't have to have the credential that you teach in for whatever reason how long have you been there daniel i actually went to your school like a year ago to uh, oh, really? get ideas for our el program uh we i've been there this is my second year finishing up oh so okay my third very cool all right um i'm nathaniel i uh feel like such a noob compared to you veterans I teach uh, at the University of Chicago Charter School, specifically the Woodlawn campus on the south side of Chicago. I teach sixth grade social studies, and this is my fourth year there. Before that, I've taught, I'm going to put in quotes, taught at uh, in D.C. public schools. I've also taught in uh, Chicago public schools. So there's that. A bit more context about uh, UCW is it is probably, if I had to ballpark it, 99% African-American, about 80% uh, qualify for free or reduced price lunches. Let's see. The other interesting thing about the school is that it's had a very interesting and uh, political relationship with the University of Chicago. Namely that, you know, because the University of Chicago sponsors it and because the university has such high tensions with the surrounding black communities, there's just been some very interesting uh, transactions and I guess you could say exchanges. When you compare like um, how our school does and you know the funding we get compared to the lab school, which is another school funded by the University of Chicago that makes John Dewey roll around in his grave. It's, uh, yeah, there's some very interesting dynamics going on. Very interesting dynamics. Nathaniel, do you also have an elementary school credential? Because you mentioned sixth grade. I don't know how it is in uh, Illinois, or because I know California has a distinction between a elementary credential and a secondary credential i just i just wasn't sure how it is in the other states i have elementary credentials elementary meaning k through eight and then uh, for secondary you'd have to get uh, more specialization and training for that yeah the school you described it kind of sounds like what we have here in la well you know because i teach in los angeles and usc university of southern california has a charter school the hybrid high school some of our colleagues actually have taught there before and they get a lot of funding. It's like a pretty much a Chromebook school. Every student has access to Chromebook technology. It's funded by USC. And it's serving the community of, you know, like South Central, different parts of LA, like mostly black and brown students. But it is interesting that a lot of that funding is coming from there and not to like other schools, right? Especially in the district. Uh, I'm Takashi. I've taught only in LA, Los Angeles. Uh, this is probably my, God, I don't even know, like eighth or ninth year of teaching. Uh, I also have a background in counseling. I received my counseling credential last year. I haven't really used it officially. I've been doing it informally with my students. But I've taught in different communities of Long Beach, South Central, neighboring Inglewood, Koreatown. And currently I'm in a neighborhood called Pico Union, which is predominantly Latino, Latinx. Uh, we have a lot of Central American immigrants 
and also Mexican immigrants. It's like 99% Latinx. Um, there's like very few black or Asian students. And uh, it's a charter school. And I've taught in the district before too. And just like what Daniel said, I've also taught in uh, continuation schools. So I'm glad to have you guys here because I feel like um, this is a topic I, I have never really heard any uh, platform talk about, especially um, just talking about like Asian male experiences in the inner city. I was also at, thinking about adding Asian females too in the future, but since like me and Daniel uh, have been running it, we just figure we'll do this first and then we'll extend it to you know our Asian sister teachers too in the future. <clears throat> But um, I'm kind of curious. Uh, I know you guys saw the bunch of questions that's listed there. That could just be used for talking points. It, you know, it doesn't have to be like we ask a question and answer. But um, like what has been your teaching experience so far in the, in the context as your identity as being Asian? For, for me, um, uh, and I can go and just start it off. That's okay with you guys. Um, so I'm in uh, Stockton and... Um, uh, a big historic site in Stockton is the Little Manila Historic Site um, with a history um, that Filipino-American farm workers and organizers had, like uh, Larry Itliong, his roots are in Stockton. So for myself to move back home and teach in my neighborhood, in my alma mater, it's definitely an interest, interesting thing, you know, like uh, just students kind of seeing someone who has these connections. Not to say that that's, you know, all you need to be a great teacher in these schools, because that could also not matter at all to a lot of my students. But definitely when I'm teaching something like English, and I feel like I've talked to you about this before, Daniel, about being an Asian American teacher, teaching English and English mm -hmm. lit, it's, it's definitely um, an interesting dynamic, you know, um, especially now when I'm teaching ELD especially, but, de but definitely it's, it's, I wanna say, there are definitely some students, especially Filipino-American students who feel very empowered that I'm there. I think it also is because I organize with the local nonprofits. And um, before I taught ethnic studies in the classroom, I was teaching it as an after-school program called the Little Manila After-School Program. Um, so I, I want to feel like there's definitely these connections that are there. Um, and I think it's uh, definitely a sense of pride for some of the students who want to maybe come back and possibly also contribute to the community in some kind of way. But that's just a little bit of what it's been like for me. That's kind of, um, sorry, uh, Aldrich, uh, was it kind of similar with the elementary schools too? Um, it, it, I said for elementary school, I teach at a public school now, um, comprehensive high school in Stockton Unified. For when I was teaching elementary, it was at a charter school and it was a little bit different because a lot of the students were um, driven in or bussed in from other areas, um, mm -hmm. not from Stockton. So I want to say there are some similarities. I did get Asian American students. Um, we have a, I feel like also for like a lot of the other students, it, I think it's also there, even if they're not Filipino. Um, what's interesting is with our ethnic studies program, we had, um, students, of course, who are not uh, our Filipino American Studies program, we had students who weren't Filipino joining in, which forced us um, to start up uh, a comparative ethnic studies program for other ethnic groups. Um, but as far as 
for elementary school sorry i feel like i went on a tangent my bad no, that's fine <laughs> uh, but i feel like but i feel like for elementary i think that was definitely there but i'm gonna be very honest i feel like i was a crappy elementary school teacher so i try not to look at those days i mean there are a lot of those students they're doing really great right now and i'm like oh great screw you over too much but i look back and i'm like gosh i could have been so much better because after tp i couldn't find a high school job so i moved back home and I went through the county to get an elementary credential, and I taught third and fourth grade just for a little bit. It's been interesting uh, for me here in Chicago. I mean, Eldridge, it's great also to hear like how students feel empowered with your presence because that's something I usually don't get here in uh, Chicago. Well, not based on like my racial identity anyways. I mean, once kids find out that I'm a huge fan of anime and can quote Naruto, One Piece, and all those <laughs> things, like, they're like, oh, Mr. Cha, I'm not the only weeb in the school. I'm like, who are you calling a weeb? But it's been very interesting because for me, in a predominantly black school, as an Asian male, I feel like I'm a bit of a wild card. Students have no idea what to expect from me personally, especially, when they see this six foot tall Asian teach social studies, not math, not science, but social studies. And, you know, I've asked kids before, like, who's usually your teacher? And they say, usually white women or black men and women, or like even some Asian women, but almost never an Asian male or an Asian man for that matter. So I feel like for the first couple of weeks for me, when I start teaching, kids are really hesitant or they're confused. Like they're trying to feel out like, who is this guy? What is he trying to teach? And then, you know, when they realize that I'm teaching like culturally relevant stuff to them, not out of a textbook, but out of like online articles and magazines, then they really buy into it. And Nathaniel, I totally um, identify with you when people don't know what to think of you. For me, it's almost, it always feels like, um, because we are the, we are 1% of the entire teaching force, right, in all the United States, we're, we're not just rare, we're very, very rare. And I think being a man in that respect also, you know, enhances all of the, the oddity of it. Um, for me, in terms of my race, my Koreanness, it's really depended on how I've taught my Koreanness to each different uh, institution and community. Um, in this international community, the Koreanness and the Asianness is just part of the culture of the school, which is sort of effortless in that way. Um, and that's been really nice. Um, in the continuation school, prior to that, it's, um, it was about 96% Black population. And in that sense, and really like serious black poverty too. So there's an economic mm -hmm. aspect of it as well. Um, I was a resource. I was a comfort in some ways because I figured out how to build relationships. Um, and that really confused things because now I also had the principal who's black saying that I'm trying to save students because I was trying to do something different. Um, they're used to sort of, they're, they just kind of roll through the system. And when you get different perspective in there, coming from Asian males saying, hey, maybe we address something different. Like, let's actually try to get some learning done. And then it, it starts to maybe like spark up a little bit. Um, it's usually met with um, 
not disregard wholly, but from the administration side, it's usually met with some kind of suspicion. Like this is different and we don't trust this difference. Um, I'll definitely agree with that too. It's interesting in how like um, both the administration and students were definitely confused like when um, like they saw this Korean guy like basically quoting Malcolm X and like going over Black Lives Matter and all these other different like points of activism in black history. And like at that point, I know for a fact that the administration was a lot more skeptical for a lot longer than the kids were. I think like for the kids, it was like, okay, does this guy really know what he's talking about? And then, you know, because they see me a lot more often, they're like, yeah. But no, I definitely feel that it gets tricky with administration a lot. The race cards are made out of uh, razor blades. You can nick yourself really easily if you play it incorrectly. I think for me, um, it just depends on the area of the school. Because where I taught in South Central, there were hardly any Asians. And then like the Asians that were there were like racially mixed, but they didn't identify with being as being Asian. And it wasn't until one student, I remember like when the school was over, like after graduation, uh, we were just like talking and hanging out and he was just saying, hey, you know, uh, Takashi, because in that school, they call every teacher by their first name. <laughs> it was just like that. And then uh, he was just like, you know, you're the first Asian person I feel really connected to. Like I never had uh, like an Asian person that I felt really close to. And then I was just like baffled because I didn't really think of myself in that way because uh, I know I was, you know, teaching in a black and brown school, but I guess, like, and I was always aware of my identity, but I didn't think uh, my own Asian identity had an impact on the students. Like, I guess that was like an aha moment for me when I realized, oh, you know, because I'm like probably uh, one of the very few Asian male or just Asian teachers that they feel really connected to. So it's making like a huge impact on how they might perceive Asians in the future, right? And you know, for me, I teach the stereotype of math and science. Uh, I also teach special education. But I haven't really met too many Asian teachers. There's only one school where I felt like there were a bit more, uh, especially in the inner city. Like, I, I know, like, the inner city and the suburbs are different. I'm always curious to know, like, how the schools are in the suburbs because I've never taught there. But it was just really interesting. And, I mean, I also taught, like, Latin dance, like, bachata and salsa. So that kind of threw them off, too. I'm like, what the hell? How is this Asian guy, like, dancing, like, Latin music, right? Because I was teaching that to them for after school. And the current school that I'm in, it's pretty much 99% uh, Latinx. And I think at first, um, the parents were surprised because I speak like enough Spanish to like get by. And, you know, they were just like, what, what the hell? You know, this guy is speaking Spanish or understanding it. But then like, I I've been there for like five years. They got used to it. And it it's like, it's not a shock anymore, <laughs> you know, at this point. But I think it's just that the relationship building has uh, like lasted over the time. And at that point, like, I mean, they probably still see me as an Asian person, but like they still see me as also part of their community. And I also have an immigrant background too. Uh, just for the context, uh, I was actually born in Japan, but my family is actually from Laos, uh, like, you know, from Southeast Asia. So I have like really different um, like transracial uh, history, like, experiences and identity based on that 
but I felt like uh, I was able to connect with students based on the immigrant experience and specifically like being undocumented too uh, for me myself and, and for like the students I was able to connect that experience with uh, some of the students to a certain extent and because I remember we started a like an immigrant right organization at our school which no longer exists unfortunately but it started right after the Trump election because you know a lot, there are a lot of people are mobilizing and organizing and a lot of our students wanted to get involved and you know do like know your rights so I connected with like a local Central American nonprofit and we did some like videos and action and yeah and since I was just like being involved and helping them out it just became like normal you know um, how how do you think the the students and the community or the school uh, view Asians in general and I feel like some of you guys already touched this and it could just be from you know, your previous experiences based on different schools too um, for me it's very pretty widely but I think the general theme is that not much is really known um, because we're all the same shade of yellow to many other people outside of the community. Uh, um, and so I think the, a lot of it really is that dialogue between me and the students in terms of my background and like what the, the nuances are. Um, yeah, I'll stop there for now. Pause for a second. And stop them, it's, it's definitely varies. Um, the Filipino community here is heavy. Um, and I will also say that as far as the, the communities that experience like severe poverty, um, locally it's definitely not Filipino anymore. It's, it's mostly the Hmong, Laos, and Cambodian um, communities out there. So it's definitely, it just depends, you know. Um, it really, really depends. There is a lot of like inter or intra-ethnic um, stuff going on in our communities. It's not extremely segregated. Like, for example, the projects out here, it's Black, Latinx, and Southeast Asian folks. Um, so it definitely varies. But um, since I've been here, there is a much, much stronger um, like awareness of the local history a little bit. You know, it's one thing I feel like we've worked really, really hard to do, like to get our ethnic studies program going in the district. We um, did a lot of different organizing. And, you know, for me, like, and I'm sure it's like this for you, I feel like a lot of you have touched on this, like, I, I will always tailor things depending on who's in the class. So when I was, when I'm teaching ethnic studies, obviously, if most of the students are black, I need to switch up what I'm going to be doing. Or if I feel like anti-black sentiment is a big issue, stop what I'm doing, we need to talk about this. But most recently, before sheltering in place, it was obviously everything with the coronavirus. And some of my Hmong students who could be mistaken as Chinese, they were wearing masks. And I said, hey, hey, um, can you talk to me real quick? Has anyone been bothering you? I'm just curious. But I know in our ethnic studies class, that was the first thing I was like, before we left, I was like, we need to talk about this just to build some solidarity among students at the campus. So for, for me, that's some of how it's been looking. Obviously my experience and the perception the community has about Asian Americans or Asians in general is, I think it's a bit different just because like I said before, the, the black communities out here on the south side of Chicago have a very tense relationship with the University of Chicago and rightfully so because there's increased uh, police presence and you know, uh, a lot of black students and family members get pulled over by the private police, like get racially profiled. So 
it doesn't help that a good chunk of the university students are in fact Asian or Asian American. It also doesn't help that the area that uh, my school is in is getting gentrified because it's very close to the university. And so because of that, a lot of students at first were very apprehensive and parents too, especially parents, were very apprehensive about Asians and Asian Americans because they're thinking, wait, they're gonna come in and push us out after we spent so much time building up communities here. So it's been very interesting just to see how like that view has kind of shaped over time with me being in the school and with me like trying to, well, not necessarily portray, but to, you know, teach a sense of advocacy. It's interesting that you also mentioned COVID-19 because I distinctly remember that, you know, when they were going to announce school closures, I came in and um, I have really terrible hay fever. So I was sniffling and sneezing all throughout class. And like one student said, Mr. Cha, are you all right? I'm like, yeah, I just have hay fever. And then someone like just uh, happened to shout out, besides Mr. Cha's not even Chinese, so we don't have to worry about that. And that's where I had to stop him and say, look, let's talk about what this virus is, what happens in China and where it's spreading now type of thing. So I'd say out here, it's still definitely tense, especially after COVID-19, but because of the university dynamics, it's not easy to, uh, to get that dialogue going, give them an identity. Uh, Nathaniel, I was kind of curious because I don't know very much about Chicago. Um, I don't, like, is there a large Asian population or if so, like, are there like very, you know, like differentiated Asian ethnic groups in there? So aside from Chinatown, which uh, is like the most well-known pocket, no, there is not. I know that Korean Americans uh, came into Chicago specifically around the north and the west side around uh, the 70s and 80s. But by the 90s, most Korean immigrants were either going to the burbs or they were going to New York or Cali. And so the Korean American and a lot of the Asian American population within the city uh, started dwindling. And so uh, the only real place for the Asian American community is in fact Chinatown. Mm. Yeah, because I feel like in the mainstream U.S. narrative of Asian Americans, we, we tend to get lumped in with whites. Like, you know, uh, just based on looking at like test scores, the graduation rates. Um, I, and I know that's not true. Like, we all know that. But just based on like the, you know, the typical mainstream narrative, we just kind of get lumped in as, oh, like they're kind of the same as whites in terms of the status. And I remember reading a book by Beverly Tatum, uh, Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting in the Cafeteria Table? Great book. I recommend it. There's a part that she mentioned that when the Asian students started uh, talking about how they were discriminated and racist, uh, being, uh, felt like they were being attacked uh, racially. A lot of the white students were angry at them for some reason because they really believe that the Asians don't feel like, you know, face any oppression or racism. And, you know, it just kind of ties back into that model minority myth of, you know, Asians um, seen as very smart and hardworking and there's no 
uh, problems that they have to go through. Yeah, go ahead. I'd like to actually ask you guys a question. Speaking about Asian American identity, I was wondering if we could kind of um, just tinker slightly with your identity as a man, because like most of the students I get along with are interestingly enough, a lot of the girl students and the nerds and the geeks type. And then, you know, when I ask them like, well, why do you get along so well? Like, why do you come to me? Why do you get along so well with me? And then they say like, not only, well, you know, you're not just a good listener, but I remember one student saying something like, Mr. Chai, you're not like the other, like, guy teachers. And like, well, what do you mean? And, she, and my student said like, well, you're a little more, you're a little more on like the feminine side almost. And it really got me thinking like, how do people view Asian American men in comparison to men of other races, whether it's black, Latinx, or even white, for that matter. I was curious, Nathaniel, were those students into K-pop? Because <laughs> I know that's been a big thing with my students. They definitely knew BTS. Um, not all of them, but a good chunk of them were, yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like it's really different in certain communities. For example, I've taught in Long Beach, uh, for those of you that don't know, Long Beach is in uh, L.A. County still. It's kind of like the, the south part of, this, of, uh, of L.A. And that area is pretty interesting because there's a high number of uh, Cambodian refugees. And there's actually a large number of Asian gangs. And there's more than one you know, gang there. And um, the students view Asian men there as more of a threat. Because, you know, there's a bunch of gangs, uh, Cambodian gangs with tattoos and, uh, you know, you don't want to mess with. Like, it, the, the whole, like, point is, like, you don't fuck with the Asians. That, that's the impression that I got. Even some of the students that I was part of a, or affiliated with the gang the first day, you know. And I thought they were joking, but they weren't. So, I don't know. It was just kind of interesting to see that dynamic. And it was also at a continuation school. So, I don't know if it would have been the same perspective at a, like, more comprehensive school. But I guess in the hood of the Long Beach, like, you know, the Asians are tend to be the gangsters. But at the same time, they still have a stereotype of Asians and, you know, Asian men as being very nerdy and like good at math. Uh, so it was like a really interesting dynamic. Um, it's like one extreme of being really threatening and dangerous. And then the other extreme being kind of like what you mentioned, uh, like maybe effeminate or just very nerdy and studious. So I, I don't know. It was, it was just interesting to see that. But that was specifically only in Long Beach that I really heard that. I've always understood Long Beach, like the demographics to be very similar to Stockton. Like when, we were talk when I was showing videos during one of my coronavirus lessons um, about some harassment um, Asian American folks are facing, a good handful of my students, uh, my black students, my Latinx students were like, oh, they wouldn't do that on some hood Asians. Hell no. I was just laughing. It, just, it made me laugh mm -hmm. really hard, you know? Um, and I, and I feel the same way, Takashi. And I, even for myself, I don't know if it's because like what it is locally in Stockton, partially, or maybe it's, I could also have some like racial ambiguity, you know, like students sometimes might think I'm Latinx. I'm uh, Pacific American, Islander American, you know, and, and I don't know if that's it, you know. Um, so maybe my experiences in that might be different 
I feel like <clears throat> it's, it's maybe it's also being a male because when I worked out at the Swin Charter School and there was this Filipino woman uh, educator, she also had an accent and I always felt like I, I had to advocate for her. She was older than me, she had an accent, but I always felt like a lot of the students' parents never took her seriously. And they would always look down or they'd go to, if not me, this other white educator who was a male who dressed up. Um, and for me, I always come to school like this. I just have a t-shirt and whatever on. So I, I don't know if those may be some differences for myself, possibly. Um, I'm really curious. Yeah, I really like the question about um, the gender identity thing, too, because I think particularly now in the political times that we are in, there is there are new ethics around maleness and, um, and gender, right, as, a, as an idea. And so for me, especially as, a, as an Asian dude in the classroom who is not uh, stereotypically masculine in any way, um, there's the there's a tension and an uh and an ambiguity in terms of how to act and how to be um which comes out sort of out of the the white racism and the culture that's spread out through that through supremacy um so it's a constant negotiation i think and whatever that becomes in terms of maleness is also in part based on the kind of discussions and conversations i get into with the youth and so it's sort of tied into as an Asian person, how do I represent this country in a way that is nuanced, um, that gives people dignity? Because I think something that for the Asian in this country right now, and I don't know about the world, but as opposed to blacks or, or indigenous folks, or even to women, I think that there's something about the Asian that is sort of like this, this biological nuisance we are redundant protoplasm. They, they're not even to be acknowledged, right? You, you know, you could see it in the jokes and in the humor, even done by Chris Rock in the Oscars. You could see the way that the Asian is being portrayed. Um, so for me, it is this weird developmental part of my, my life where I'm trying to construct what is it to be a man, but also to be an Asian, to be a Korean American man. Um, so many like identity politics going around, but I think what grounds me is sort of like the reading and the, the things we talk about in the class. So I think, I don't know if that answers any of your question in a good way, Takashi, or I'm sorry, uh, to Nathaniel. It definitely gives me more to think about. Yeah. It's a really cool yeah. question. To talk about. Yeah. Cause the Asian students that I've had like, you know, male and female, I felt like it's a different dynamic how the students view those students, the Asian students, and they're a very small minority. Because like, yeah, I've had students that are more like studious and kind of get labeled as nerdy, like the Asian students, like the male students. But I've also had Asian male students that became very popular and became homecoming kings. And like, you know, mm. it was like a player at the school. Mm. And it's a very small, and it's a very like small minority of Asians. So I don't know, it's, it's just interesting. It's at least at the schools that I've been, it doesn't, I think the stereotype does exist among the students, but I don't know like if it's actually the, you know, it's not really the reality of what the students are seeing. It's, it's really interesting that at our school, um, I feel like maybe there's three now, but at my site, there's only been two of us who are very critical. Like 
for example, talking about issues of gender, gender identity and race. Um, there are only two teachers who would do that at the school, myself, um, and then another teacher who is a gay Filipino male. Um, and definitely for a lot of these heavy discussions, a lot of these students often come to one of us or now another teacher who also teaches ethnic studies. Like I've had in my class, several students who came out as trans, but they didn't want to do that anywhere else. Or they designated me as a, a teacher and they weren't Asian, they weren't Asian at all. They just designated me as a teacher they felt safe with. Um, but what's interesting is at, at Edison High School, um, with a long history of, of Filipino, the Filipino population, Filipinos very often come up as one of the, I don't know how to say, like a, a, a very mainstream group. Like they're always in, involved in all this stuff. They often do better academically. Um, and there's a lot of model minority myth issues with that um, at, at the high school I work at. So myself and the um, other educator I mentioned, he's actually a leadership teacher. We've had to be very strategic, like, hey, you know, when you start your leadership program, you need to minimize who you're taking in from the Filipino community. Like, we need to, like, give, give like, these situations some affirmative action in a way because it's going to come off as extremely racist. So when, we, when he's done things like with homecoming and who can run for that, if it's all Filipinos who will um, apply or something, he's, he'll try to balance that out while taking only a certain amount and making sure the Black community, the Southeast Asian community, Latinx community can all come in and also um, have a chance to be a part of something. So it's, it's something we've attempted to do, um, knowing that certain groups, or if like I'm asked to do a club, I won't do the Filipino club because I feel like I do enough work in the Filipino community. So I try to help all these other students who I feel like need a lot more attention. So it's, it's something I feel like we've had to do to balance it at, at my site. I know uh, one other question that was posted there, Nathaniel, I don't know if you were the one that put it there. Um, do you think students view, uh, I think it kind of addresses what you mentioned earlier. Do you think students view Asian male teachers differently from Asian female teachers or like how, how so? Well, I think in, in a general sense, um, you know, being male holds authority and therefore power. And then you can use and leverage that power in ways to control or to whatever you need. Um, but I think for Asian females, at least the people that I know, they're still, um, they're infantilized and they're sexualized. So that's, that's pretty bad beating. Um, that's true. Um, something that I've become very aware of at my school site because there is this sort of upsurge of a positive Asian image through popular culture and things like that. And so what's happening with some of the um, Chinese boys is that they're becoming very popular with all of the brown girls and they're getting a lot of play and they're walking around with swagger now. And one of the things that we have to talk about is it's like, okay, so you're riding this wave and we got to sort of examine that power dynamic there. So that's been kind of interesting. I think I will say that as men, we do hold more, I wouldn't necessarily say perceived authority. I'd like to say that men in general hold, like have a better hold or start off with, with you know, more authority. But as teachers, we know if you don't hold on to your authority, if you do not stand up for yourself, they can take that away. 
I've seen it with male teachers many a time where students will start off respectful, but if you are not consistent or whatnot, then, you know, they will run you into the ground type of thing. It's also interesting, um, Daniel, that you brought up like how uh, women teachers are sexualized because I definitely have seen that as well. I would also say that for that matter, I feel that Asian women teachers or Asian American women teachers, they do have to work harder in order to not only maintain the authority they have, but to in a sense gain more authority. Because most of the Asian American women teachers I've seen, like they're not, uh, they're not the quiet introvert types. They're very loud, they're very extroverted, and they can make a kid cry on the spot type of thing. Whereas I'm like very, I'm a very chill person. I am very introverted and I will, you know, admit that to my students type of thing, so. It's interesting you say that, Daniel, because I've seen a few Asian American women teachers that are like that too. They're very fierce and, you know, they get the class to pay attention no matter what. And just by looking at the statistics too of teachers, uh, 75% of teachers are female. So like they're going to be, even though like the Asian teacher population is very small, students are most likely to encounter Asian female teachers than Asian male teachers, just based on the data alone. And I know it might differ based on the location and, you know, if there's more Asian population, but yeah, it, it, it does seem that way. But I've, I've also seen like Asian male teachers that are, you know, also very like loud and able to maintain authority. Um, but it's just that there are more Asian female teachers that at least that I've seen uh, where I've been working. So, I mean, you could also like throw on a bit of Confucianism into the mix. It's probably like, especially for the Korean community, it's kind of because like, well, you're going to be the head of the family. You need to make sure that you have a better job, whether that's a lawyer, doctor, businessman, that sort of thing. So I, I, I'm speaking mainly for Korean Americans and Daniel, you can totally disagree if you want, but that's a theory I've been building up. Like one reason why there's not a lot of Korean American male teachers or men teachers is because of the expectations that are placed on us by uh, parents, society, that sort of thing. And like when you throw in the immigrants narrative as well, the Confucianism and the immigrant narratives like start intertwining and it like really pressures down on Asian American men, not necessarily to be a teacher, but to be something quote unquote better. Sure. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I think there is a certain kind of um, moral conflict that exists in the Asian American community and particularly the Korean community because we're highly indoctrinated um, as uh, a culture. And so that indoctrination includes um, serving the master and serving the, the corporate master, serving the political systems. Um, and then, you know, they end up being Democrats, right? So whatever that means, but they're well um, adjusted citizens. Um, and I think that within that framework, there's not a lot of room for things like justice or things like um, suffering or poverty or whatever the thing is. Um, so I am, I am curious to know from the group too, as I answer about, um, I'm curious to know if we have an, a, a different kind of responsibility or an added responsibility as 
as Asian teachers, Asian male teachers, that with our privilege and with our minority, what is that thing that we all have in common that brings us into the profession? And therefore, what do we do with that privilege in the classroom and how that's common among us? And I'll stop there. Oh, I was done. <laughs> no, I know. I'm just thinking. Uh, yeah, me too. I was like, that's, that's lost. <laughs> to process. I can't tell sometimes because yeah. I don't know if it's a glitch. <laughs> it's, this discussion is really like making me really think, you know. It's, it's up until you, know, you all mentioned this to me, I was just like, I haven't reflected in a while being not just an Asian American teacher, but an Asian American male teacher. And I'm thinking, damn, what are my privileges and what responsibilities do have I had that have I been meeting those responsibilities? Like I'm really, really thinking about it right now. Um, I always try to think from the student perspective and I'm always trying to come about, like trying to find some balance for the students. But now for myself and how I identify, I'm like just tripping out right now, like thinking, God, have I been failing everyone this time? This whole time, look, I'm trying to figure this out in my head as these questions arise. I was like, oh my. I do think a part of the privilege, like there are two different aspects of the privilege that I see are two different examples that can transfer, like transform into responsibility uh, to my understanding. I mean, first as a male teacher, I've had to like either have classroom discussions or call someone out whenever like uh, male students like harass female students because middle school is a very like it, it's a weird time where boys are like man Mr. Cha I don't know what to do I've tripped this girl I've pulled her hair I've thrown her books to the floor I'm trying to I'm running out of ways to tell her that I like her type of thing and then you know, also in terms of as the model minority, someone who knows uh, within like my own community, my own context, like the rules of the system. I feel like those, res those privileges can evolve into responsibilities, namely teaching students or exposing students to different ideas. So like, for example, as a male teacher, as a man teacher, I do like expose my students to feminism every single year. I just sit down and I say, look, I'm just gonna put in five minutes about feminism, namely it's where women are treated equally as men. And then like the whole class, especially the boys go, that's all that feminism is? Really? I'm like, yes it is. And they're like, well, I don't see what's so bad about that. And then, you know, as a law-abiding citizen, it's my job, or I feel like it becomes my responsibility to teach my students about the rights that they have in different situations, whether it's rights about voting or rights about protest or even rights about, like, free speech and, you know, police scenarios especially like as someone who is a law-abiding citizen who knows about those rules it becomes a responsibility to say like okay now that i have those privileges how can i make sure that other people access those privileges as well i mean if we're going to be talking about equity so i feel that especially as teachers 
one of our jobs is taking these privileges, transforming it into a sort of responsibility. I don't even like the word responsibility or duty. It's something that we have to do, namely exposing our students to different facets of these different systems that make up society. And from there, they can decide what to do with it. You know, I was thinking a lot about, um, I agree with everything that you say, Nathaniel, and um, I'm kind of reminded of something, Aldrich, you said early on, which is there's only you and this other person who teaches anything about anything. And so, yeah, I'm just curious to know how people think about how we create dialogue with colleagues that are not there yet. And, and when, and is that even possible? How do you even get any kind of change in, in that front? Yeah, that's a tough one because older people are, maybe I'm just generalizing, but older people have a harder time like changing their minds compared to younger people. So once they stick with their ways and their beliefs, they're pretty much going to be stuck like that for a long time until, you know, they die. But, you know, there's always going to be changes based on people's experiences and beliefs. So there can also always be dialogue, you know, my, my firm belief is as long as food is involved, there can always be dialogue. As long as you share food, you can always share ideas with other people, whether it's students, whether it's other teachers or even administration, if you know what to say. Yeah, that's, and that's, yeah, I completely agree. Um, definitely trying to utilize things that may be something more common for them, like having some kind of event where there's food and sharing. Um, myself and this other teacher will try to push the grain in certain ways at the, on the campus, you know, like, for example, we had multicultural week this week. And this teacher um, took a big risk and shared a photo of himself doing drag. And we both were kind of thinking, watch, let's see what these people say or what they're thinking. Because a lot of people at this, at our site, um, and it might be a local thing, I'm not entirely sure. I think folks are not as progressive and the folks who are more progressive um, locally are kind of coming in from college. But definitely a lot of people have things against trans students, um, talking about gender identities. It's definitely something where I have to go back and forth. Like, for example, um, a couple of years ago, I started jujitsu uh, with some of the folks I work with, and they have a hard time, um, like, understanding all these different terminologies, how people identify. And I try to be very, very slow and try my, because I, I feel like I have, we have two choices. We dismiss folks, um, which sometimes I don't blame people if you dismiss people because you have to protect your, your humanity. Uh, or you give them patience and give them time and slowly start to pull them in. But I think for myself, um, as a high school teacher, I'm really banking on the students who are having that culture shift because a lot of, a lot, at our site especially, uh, we've hired on a lot of people from the community so a lot of the students who mentioned to me, like at some point I've had a handful saying, I want to be back here working as a teacher or working in the community or something. And they have very critical mindsets. So I'm really putting most of my chips on these students who are going out, uh, becoming really aware and changing it up. So that's, that's the hope I have. Yeah, you brought up a good point, Eldridge. Because I remember I was working at this one school and like the workers there were people from the community. 
And we didn't allow police at our school. It was like a very, uh, quote unquote, like radical school. And, you know, every Friday there'll be presentation from community organizers about like different stuff on organizing, about different topics on police brutality, uh, trying to make changes in how the money is uh, funneling towards like the sheriff's department. And what was cool was that we hired people that used to be formerly, you know, incarcerated and they got out and that was part of the community and that was respected by the students. And, you know, they were working as like a hall monitor, but I think we called it like the peace builders, you know, trying to come up with a different term. And it was just pretty cool to see like someone from their community just working at their school. And that's also an important aspect of the, the school culture, too. Because I feel like a lot of times um, schools tend to get people that's outside from the community, which is fine. And people have different perspectives and beliefs while they're coming in. But sometimes if too many are coming from outside of the community, there's a disconnect from like the families in the community and the teachers and the staff in the school. And once there's a disconnect, then, you know, there could be issues and problems and miscommunication. And, you know, like a lot of people criticize Teach for America because of that, right? Because they get a lot of uh, white elites uh, from like Ivy League schools to teach in like low income urban schools. Uh, and they're only there for like maybe two years and they bounce to become investment bankers. But like, I've been lucky to just work with teachers that have been Teach for America, but there were also people of color and they under under understood the students, even though if they weren't exactly from the community, they also like grew up in a similar community as the students. Still thinking about your question, Daniel. <laughs> well, I guess this might be another question, but um, I was kind of curious, like, do you guys find solidarity with other Asian educators? That's a great question. It's, it's yeah. interesting. I don't know. That's a, yeah, that's a very really interesting one. It's weird because oftentimes, like, I'll find, I don't know if this is intentional. Maybe it's because the other Asian American teachers at my site are extremely like Christian conservative folks. Um, but I'll find myself allying often, oftentimes more so with certain black teachers or Latinx teachers, um, except for that one teacher I mentioned. Um, well, we know, we've known each other since high school. We both have backgrounds in ethnic studies and like critical forms of education. So, um, but definitely, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question. It's weird. I don't know. Like I've heard some, Academics talk about this, at least in the Filipino community. And there's this thing amongst uh, Filipino men that's very competitive and it's so ingrained. And, you know, someone told me that, but I really do feel that it's so weird. Like, oh, oh, who's this person? Who do they think, who do, who do they, think they are? And I, I get this, like, I don't, I don't know what it comes from. Maybe it's history of colonization, I'm not sure, but there's definitely that exists and it makes it hard to build that solidarity sometimes yeah i identify with asian teachers not because they are asian but it just happens to be in in my case right now that they also have a certain kind of political leaning as well as an ideological leaning about the pedagogy and what you do in the classroom so it just happens that the asian teachers around me are are progressive in certain ways like that um but I wouldn't say that I ally myself with Asian teachers under that, under that notion. Um, and it is something that I've talked about with another friend of mine here, which is that 
with, you know, is there really a good Asian solidarity movement going on? And what does that look like? Um, and Takashi and I kind of talked about this a little bit last time, which is where is our public intellectual in terms of the Asian representation? Um, where's our voice at the moral table, uh, especially in the, in the sort of political times that we're at? We had Andrew Yang, um, but he was just one person. I'm wondering, like, where is the movement for that? Just out of curiosity, have you guys checked out, uh, what's his name, Eric Liu? I think it's L-I-U. He started the uh, Citizen University. He worked with the Obama administration quite a bit. And uh, I do believe that he focuses on education and equity. But uh, yeah, that's definitely that. Uh, to answer the original question, though, I'm just going to admit right now that because or because my ethnic identity has been, um, what's the word, distorted by like, uh, whether it's mainstream culture or my own existential issues. Um, I I've had mixed feelings and results about allying with other Asian teachers. So as uh, Daniel said, if they have the same ideological, like, um, if we share a lot of ideological similarities, like absolutely. But I've also met several Asian teachers who I had really big problems with, namely because, you know, as a teacher, I always try to put my students first. And, you know, they are the end in and of themselves. They're not a means to an end. For me, to either climb the corporate ladder or to, you know, just sharpen my own career. I've met other Asian teachers who, generally speaking, are relatively good people. They're very intelligent and at some level they do care for their students. But then I asked them like, hey, do you wanna come out to this community event? they would often refuse or like I'd ask them, Hey, are you going to stay another year? And they're like, no, I'm going to leave. I'm getting out of here. I'm going somewhere else. Like to me, that kind of seems like it's not just Asian American teachers that do this, but a lot of crappy teachers treat the students as a stepping stone, like to either benefit themselves and to get like a better career choice or to like, get it on their resume that they're acting like a social justice warrior. And I have a huge problem with that. And then like there are just other times too, where some Asian American teachers, like with the whole, uh, what was it? I think it was Eric Garner and with several other different cases, like we were talking a lot about like black lives matter movements and whatnot. But I noticed that, you know, he would always post these on social media. But then when it came to actually doing something, it, it just never panned out. And it really got me thinking, look, on the one hand, it's great that you're aware of social injustice. But don't just get mad over and over again. Stay mad and do something about it. Or just get out of the way and make room for people who will do something about it. 
So that being said, like I've had very mixed results. I've definitely met some Asian American teacher warriors who are literally willing to die for their kids. And I would, I'd love to ally myself with those teachers. But on the other hand, you know, there are also some bad teachers as well. Just like there are bad teachers for every race and gender. And I choose to not spend much time or spend much energy worrying about them. Uh, Carlos, I know you just came in. Do you want to just quickly introduce yourself? I know most of us know you, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I'm Carlos uh, Cisneros, and uh, I'm a grad student of, in linguistics at the uh, University of Chicago in the PhD program. All right, nice to meet you, Aldrich. Nathaniel, <laughs> nice to see you again. Hey, man. How's it going? <laughs> it's going good. Yeah. Miss you. I miss you too. Yeah. I miss hanging out in Chicago. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I, I, I had a question, uh, kind of like a follow-up from your uh, statement, Nathaniel, and th this could be applied to uh, everybody else too. Do you find it like you get frustrated more if an Asian person or Asian teacher like acts a certain way compared like what you just mentioned, Nathaniel, compared to like a other race of teacher? Cause like, you know how, like we, we have that common identity as being Asian, right? I, I, for me personally, I feel like I do tend to get frustrated a little bit more. Um, I, I mean, I haven't really examined myself on why, but like if an Asian person or Asian educator says something racist or says something like problematic in my opinion, and I, I don't know, I just get frustrated more compared to like, let's say if a Latinx or a black, uh, educator said it right. And I was oh, just yeah. wondering, like, you guys had similar uh, experiences or sentiment. I absolutely feel that way. If I had to say why, I think it's because, like, like the, the disappointment is so much greater. Because even though I might not know that person too well, like, I too am human. And so I try to associate with people who look like me. When I find out that they don't share the, the same ideals or even the same level of commitment, the disappointment is way worse. Whereas, you know, if it's someone who is white, black, or Latinx who says something very offensive or treats students a certain way, like, I'll just say, no, I don't have time and I don't want to waste my energy on you. But I feel like with Asian American teachers, like I would naturally like tend to gravitate. And then when I realized that I did waste some time and energy on that person, it, it just feels more disappointing. I, I, excuse me, I completely agree with you, Nathaniel. It, it definitely feels way more disappointing. Um, in addition to that, I will say that I get really bothered by a teacher, Asian American male teacher, um, who embodies like the model minority myth. Like those sentiments, they agree with it. They speak out loud with those ideas. It really bothers me. Um, and it, it really drives me crazy. And I'm just, I just think in my head, like, God, oh, you're setting us back a lot more. Oh my God. So that really bothers me. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of the, what Andrew Yang said publicly. I don't know if y'all remember. He mentioned like, oh, Asians need to be more American. We need to fit in while all these violence uh, against Asians are happening. So many Asian American people, not just activists, but I was just surprised to see so many social media folks were attacking Andrew Yang. And I was just like, damn, like, 
I think it's just describing what we're feeling too, in a way, because uh, you know he's the face of Asian Asian America right now, and he's making us really look bad, and you know we don't agree with what we're, what he's saying, you know, and it's it just feels more anger and frustration from us just because of you know the the shared identity. Yeah, I mean, I think um, to add on to that, there's something that definitely makes my blood boil about when I see other adults commodify children and they commodify in the form of something else by saying that that is teaching or whatever it's like learning um i find that disgusting and it it really just when i see it from a a korean person right like my own kind i just think to myself what a waste of flesh that was what a waste of a human and i can and i get that nasty and terrible because it's it is a part of me right like i'm identifying fully with that that person like that so yeah i hate them i wish them all to an island where they would just take pcp and hang out with the um the pederasts of all right. things yeah and going back to the asian solidarity um yeah i agree with uh, what you guys said i tend to align just more with people based on the beliefs and actions. I, I know that uh, I've, I was at a school where Asian teachers are like a very small minority. And the one Asian teacher happened to be the yearbook advisor and I just partnered up with her. And we just happened to be both Asian and we're just the yearbook advisor. Uh, even though like she didn't have like the similar beliefs, uh, she still cared for the students. I feel like there was a solidarity there. Just be, being on the experience of being an Asian teacher, you know, in a Latinx uh, community. Like, what was that like? Just sharing our frustrations and just experiences. So I think that was just a good space to have, even though we not, may not necessarily had the, the same uh, beliefs. And I was just thinking about, like, uh, educational, like, political organizations. I think you guys heard of, like, People's Ed Movement. Um, Aldrich, you probably heard of it in L.A. And I, I was, it was pretty cool to see um, there's plenty of Asian-American educators that were part of that movement. So that was pretty cool to see. Um, so there are, like... A number of Asian American educators that have very passionate um, and similar beliefs and trying to make social change and trying to create some kind of change in the system. Mm. Um, I was also thinking too because part of the reason why I became a teacher specifically in urban schools was I had a professor who was similar to kind of like a mentor um, some of you guys might know him, uh, K. Wayne Yang. He used to teach mm-hmm. in Oakland. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know, because I, I was very involved in the activism and like the social justice circles back when I was an undergrad. And Carlos could attest to that. And um, I remember uh, like there, there were just so many amazing like black male educators and Latino male educators. And I was just like, yeah, these are great. And I was taking a lot of notes until I, I met Wayne Yang. He was an Asian male educator teaching in the urban schools for like 16 years in Oakland. He started his own school with other educators. And I was just like really inspired by his presence and, you know, the way he was able to convey a message and just inspire a bunch of students. And that kind of pushed towards my journey as an educator and teacher. So it's just like the importance of having a role model for our peoples too. I've seen him speak. I think I mentioned it to you before in the past. Gosh, he's really dope. Um, another one, I think, who also helps lead the People's Ed movement. You've you all probably heard of um, Patrick Kamangian, another Asian-American uh, educator, professor. 
mm-hmm. taught in uh, Crenshaw High School for a really long time. Now it's in Oakland. Um, but there's definitely some. But it's, it's weird because when you come from like, um, I'm sure a lot of you as well come from a very critical and progressive space, whether it be college or the community. Um, you know, you, you feel like that's just how it is. And then when you're at your site, it's very lonely and you realize we're very much the minority, you know, at least with our thinking.